We have come to the last in our series from the book of Titus, from the letter that Paul wrote to Pastor Titus. And this we will do in a minute. But first, I want to keep a promise that I made a couple of weeks ago. And that I was talking about relationships between men and women, and I shared some things with you about... uh, what I was sure women needed for men and some of the ways we men sometimes neglect the ladies in our lives. And I promised that I would give equal time to the topic of what men need. And so that's where I'm going to begin today. And believe it or not, I'm convinced that all of this falls well within the realm of our scripture texts from Titus. Since The book of Titus is basically a book about how Christians are supposed to influence the world. And it is through our attitudes and our deeds that we best influence the world to show what we are like because of Christ in us. So regarding what men and women need from each other, here's what I have learned. First of all, a book that I have found particularly helpful is a book by uh, Emerson Egerich, who is a uh, author and professor who wrote a book called Love and Respect, The Love She Most Desires, The Respect He Desperately Needs. And really, in his title for that book, which is in my office if you want to borrow it or if you want to pick it up at Amazon or something, you can look it up. Uh, the title tells it all right there. Women appear to have needed in multiple surveys more than anything the love of their husbands and men in the same surveys have indicated that they need more than anything to feel respected. In a survey of 7,000 people he said when there's conflict between you and your spouse What's going on? And 72% of the women said that they felt unloved and 83% of the men said they felt unrespected. And what's remarkable is, is that when in conflict, a woman feels unloved, she will just generally be disrespectful according to this survey. And when in conflict, a man is feeling disrespected, he's more likely to be cold and less loving. So you've got a strange dynamic there because the two things that men and women generally need from each other are the two things that will automatically get withheld whenever it doesn't feel like one's giving the other what they need. What's really remarkable about this book, which was written by a Christian author to Christian audiences, is that it's based on scripture. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul says in chapter 5, verse 33, that men should love their wives as Jesus loves the church. And he uses the word agape in this case. This is the best kind of love as it is described in the Bible. Just as an aside, uh, this week I recommended a C.S. Lewis book called The Four Loves to a class. And in the book by C.S. Lewis, the four loves are described in their Greek uh, descriptions 
that would have been used in scripture regularly, yet we have just one word, love. And agape is the love that is the most godlike. It's the most unconditional love. And so Paul emphasizes that men are to love their wives with that kind of love, with an absolutely unconditional love. But then it says in the same passage, women should respect their husbands. Now this whole concept has become very controversial in the church, in particular in a more secularized church and religion. And I'm not here to create more problems between men and women by saying all of this, but simply to point out that if you are in a loving, lifelong relationship between a man and a woman, or you're planning to have that kind of relationship with somebody, and perhaps you're engaged or in a very deeply committed relationship, then these rules will apply to you and they will help you to succeed in a happy marriage. And as I discovered, thankfully, very early in my adult life, if you want to raise good children, dads, the most important thing you can do is show them the love you have for your wife. The way you treat your wife has everything to do with how your children will turn out. But ladies, the way you treat your husband will have everything to do with how your children will feel about things. You must demonstrate through your marriage everything your children need to know in order to develop into decent human beings, which is what we all want, I believe. So let me say, Scripture makes it clear that marriage is a metaphor for the relationship between Christ and his church. That's why when we do weddings in the church, we constantly compare the two. And so when Jesus loves the church completely unconditionally, the most important characteristic is grace. It's the agape love, the, the love that says, I don't care what you've done or what you've said, I love you anyway. And I love you enough to give you everything that I can in order that you would be saved. Husbands, do you give your wives the same kind of unconditional love? This is what the Bible commands you to do. But ladies, your husband is to be treated like the respected head of the household. But let me emphasize that this is not to be seen outside of the instruction that's given to the men. In other words, you show respect to the man and you give the kind of dignity to that man that is due him for providing the safety and the security and the well-being that the family depends on him most for in most situations. I understand what I'm telling you isn't true 100% of the time, but if this is a loving agape husband, then the respect that is due him is not an authoritarian, autocratic kind of respect situation where people are being expected to submit to unrealistic demands and cruel expectations. Not far from it. This, this is a balanced situation where a gentleman is treating his bride you know, that's why I call her my bride, even after 28 years. 
because I just don't ever want to forget that that's how precious she is. And if I do that, then it changes the way I respond and react to all sorts of things. And then the respect that I get is not such a, a, a kind of authoritarian respect as it is a respect for who I am and my commitment to my family. And so ladies, here's the final piece of solid advice that I'd like to give you. If you're at the house of your mother, let's say, and you're telling your mother about life in general, and you happen to say so that your husband can overhear you bragging to your mom about your husband, how what a good job he does at work and how he's gotten one raise or promotion after another, how he has constantly made sure that we always had everything we needed. If you should happen to let your husband overhear you singing your praise or his praises to your mother, you've done him a service that he will reward with tender love, I promise you. And it's in the Bible. I'm not making this up, even though I can tell you from my own experience. It's an awesome feeling to know that your wife and your children are proud of you. Men, don't you realize that sometimes when you're deeply frustrated with your wife and your children, it's because you come home tired from a hard day's work or you labor in the yard or labor on the house. And yes, we enjoy doing these things, ladies. Don't don't think that we're naive. We know that you know that we get a certain satisfaction out of swinging the hammer, pulling on the saw, whatever. But we do it because it's in our instinct to make sure that food and shelter are always readily available for our families. It's part of our very nature in most cases to wanna go kill a buffalo and bring it back to the cave. It's part of our very nature to gather thatch for the roof, build a shelter from the cold wind of winter. It's part of our very nature to sit in the emergency room and try to pretend like we're not scared, and to act brave. It's part of our nature. And yes, what we do to earn a living does give us a certain amount of satisfaction, but part of that satisfaction comes from knowing how it provides for our loved ones. And so, if you wanna know what men need more than anything, men need to know that their wife and their children respect them. That they are appreciated for the dignified and faithful way that they take care of their families, that they care for their loved ones. And the problem with these special holidays like Father's Day and Mother's Day is that they also bring up plenty of memories of how that never happened the way it should have and the pain we feel because of it. It's true. And all I can say is, is Courtney prayed a really beautiful prayer that included a line that I really resonated with that said, you know, if you didn't experience it, but you found a way to do it better anyhow, praise God. Men, that's all we've got to do. Women, that's all we've got to do. We can't change the past. But what we can do is change our present and our future by choosing a better way. And the fact that you're here this morning is a start in the right direction. Because if you men will model yourselves after Christ and his love for his church, his bride, and if you women will honor and revere your man the way 
the ladies that were around Jesus honored and revered him with their service and their love and, and their commitment to, to uh, you know, reflect the highest level of pride in, in uh, ownership, you might say, <laughs> you know, and uh, to show that. But I promise you, men are far more sensitive than you think they are. And there can be a cumulative effect of never hearing words of praise and they feel especially good when they're spoken in our presence to others. There's a gift that you can give your husband or your man in your life, even the boys and young boys and young men in your lives. So that's all I have to say about that, as Forrest Gump would say. Now, on to Titus chapter 3, the final chapter in that short book. I want to read it to you now, and then we'll talk about it for a couple of minutes. Titus chapter 3 begins with Paul offering a reminder to Pastor Titus. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is, trust, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time and after that have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are wrapped and warped and sinful and they are self-condemned. As soon as I send uh, Artemis, and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zanus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not to live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in faith. Grace be with you all. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Don't you love it? He's so passionate that even in his farewell, he's back on the topic again. Is it? Now, here's a list of things I want you to take care of. And oh, by the way, tell the people, live productively. Don't waste their time on silly stuff.
You know, you may have determined if you've been a faithful attender most of the Sundays of my first year as your pastor, you, you may have noticed there's a method to my madness and we're wrapping up with this passage as I conclude this first year with you as your pastor. And it begins or it ends where it began. When I came into this church, I found that some of the things that were described in Paul's letter to Titus all those years ago had become issues for this church. And rest assured that that happens in every church, that it's a very common problem among churches. It's so easy to get caught up in things that don't matter in the scheme of Christian thought and in the doctrinal standards of the church. And it takes, it takes strong leadership to draw us back to the things that matter most. It takes discipline to come back to the center line and walk it carefully because gravity and temptation and a lot of other things will pull us so easily away from the true doctrine, the true standard. So I want to just review this passage with you for a couple of minutes. So he says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. <laughs> I'm reminded of that every time I get on the road in Jasper, Indiana. Subject to the authorities, that red thing that's at the end of most lanes is a stop sign. Do we obey it, even if there's not a police officer watching our actions, or do we blow it so that we can just keep moving? Now, here's how men think, by the way. I'm saving gas, don't you understand? <laughs> if I bring the car to a complete stop, it uses more energy to get it going again. I'm, I'm conserving energy. Right. Christians are subject to rulers and authorities. They're obedient and they're ready to do good. Need I say more? To slander no one and to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. What would Jesus say if he saw your Facebook account? If he was watching your Facebook feed? If he was reading your Facebook? What would the Apostle Paul or Pastor Titus say if they were following your Twitter posts? Just saying, what would he say if he overheard you talking with your friends outside of church or even within the walls of the church? At one time, we too were foolish. Do you hear that? you hear what he's saying? He's basically saying, don't do those things because that's what stupid people do. <laughs> you know? and, and then he's saying, we used to be like that. All of us were disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by our passions and pleasures. I know this is nothing new, but there, because I'm a student of history, there's a cycle of these things. And we are in a cycle in our country, in our Western culture, that reminds me so much of the Rome that existed at the time that these letters were written. And it's all about pleasure. You know, let's just, let's just be honest with each other. We, we make more hamburgers and, and uh, 
downloadable content, then we make really useful things in this country. Wouldn't you agree? We entertain ourselves and we indulge in the many pleasures more than we do anything really productive. And I don't preach politics, I don't mix politics in the pulpit, but I guess if that's as close as I come, I'm fair, safely confident that I haven't crossed the line that I've committed myself never to cross. But it just seems to me that in a Christian culture, more productive things happen than pleasure-oriented things. Not that pleasure is a bad thing, but when it becomes more important than doing good and being productive. How does that apply to the local church? Well, if we do more stuff for our own entertainment and our own pleasure here within the walls of this church, then we're in violation of Scripture in multiple places. Pleasure happens here, good things happen here, but the most important thing we do has to be the good works and the good words that make the community better. That's why it's our goal now. Our vision is to be vital to the well-being of this community. Never again do I want to pose the question to you, what would happen if Shiloh wasn't here anymore and have some of you scratch your heads and say, that's really bothering me. Let it be known that from here on, we are people who will be known for the good works and the good words that come from here to make the community better because we're part of it, because our world around us is full of the foolish and the disobedient and the deceived who are enslaved by all manner of passions and pleasures. They live with malice and envy. They are used to being hated and doing a fair amount of hating. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, and not because of anything we did to deserve it, but simply because God is kind and loving and gracious and merciful, not because we deserved it or earned it, but because God chose to. Because God willed it. We have been given new birth in Christ. And therefore, have a chance really to live a new life. To start over, whether we're very young or very old or somewhere in the middle, we get a fresh start. Because of Jesus, because of the love of God expressed through Jesus. And then, as Paul says here, the renewal is a product of the Holy Spirit within and around us, so that we have received the generous inheritance that was set at one time only for the Son of God, but now we have been invited to receive it and experience as daughters and sons of God the same benefits this is one of Paul's themes that he hits in almost every writing in one way or another. And he says that this is a trustworthy saying. That's why he keeps telling it over and over again. Today, as you Father's Day to one another and in your families, one of the things that will no doubt happen, even if you're remembering a father who is now in the presence of the Lord, is you will recall those things Dad always says. Because dad always has certain things. Because there are certain phrases that are trustworthy and true. <laughs> At least the saying of them is a trustworthy and true thing. You can count on dad's reaction to certain things to always echo the same idea. 
this is not a disrespectful thing I say to you. It's just a reality that as we get older and the Spirit of God operates in us, we can be refined. You know, my, uh, one of my very favorite hymns is How Firm a Foundation. And one of the lines in it that, that speaks so plainly to me is that, that uh, the heat is intended that our dross would be refined. You know, when they're making precious metals into stuff. They boil it and boil it and boil it basically and as it is heated the impurities in the gold or the silver will come to the surface and then the uh, person who's working on the metal will skim that off the top and pour it aside and then they'll heat it some more and this process is called refining and the refiner's fire keeps bringing the dross to the surface so that it can continually be removed and it's under the fire that we are refined. The fire of the Holy Spirit, in this case, is constantly bringing our dross or the ugly, stupid things about us that we wish would change forever to the surface. I, I had a profound, I, I debated whether I should just share my testimony with you, and I thought, no, save the real, the, the long version for another day, Dan. But I got to tell you, yesterday, probably because, you know, I'm spending the day before Father's Day with my dad, and, and it's... Uh, late in his life and I was sitting there with something that he'd given me out of his garage on my lap because you know my dad's reached that point in his life where every time I go to visit I visit the free hardware store before I come home you're laughing because you do you know what I'm talking about and you know because he buys something as a real good bargain and he already knows in his mind that he's going to give it to one of us sons the next time he sees us or a grandson or a granddaughter or somebody but anyway I was driving home yesterday and I was thinking, God really has changed me. Being around my parents reminds me of what I was like 40 years ago. What I was like 20 years ago. Even what I was like 10 years ago. It reminds me that even at 87, my dad can say, you know, that really was a rant. Because as his heart softens over the years, as my heart softens over the year, years, it's easier for God to get in and do something with it. And I have been changed. I am so not the guy that you might have met at the truck parts store back in 1984. I'm just not. Not even close. And thank God for it. And so the point that Paul makes here is once we enter into that relationship with God, we change. And if we're really not changing, then it's time to ask God if perhaps we've been carrying around a sort of superficial faith, that we've been sort of carrying a certificate of baptism that we got in church, but we haven't really been born again, that we haven't really in, invited the Holy Spirit to change our nature. This is the challenge, as hard as it is, with this passage. And this is why things can seem stuck and never to change in people's lives and in churches and in families and organizations. Because the people, especially those at the head, whether it's the head of a household or the head of a congregation or the head of an organization, if we're not changing, nothing 
under our authority is going to change either. If we're not constantly being evolved and refined into a better human being, how can we possibly expect anything that we drive to be any better than us? Now, in his closing, Paul says, a couple of guys are going to come cover things for you so that you can come to me at the winter camp and I'm going to need a few things from you. And he gives them some really interesting instructions. And I think just for, just for a, a biblical study observation, isn't it neat that our Bible contains so many intimate things? It's really basic intimate things. I mean, we're reading somebody's letter here. God has turned it into a message to us from the Holy Spirit, but it's also a very personal letter from somebody, and we're reading it, and this is our reminder. But here says, I started, here's how I will end this morning. He's in the middle of it telling these guys what he needs them to do and what he's expecting to happen, and then he says, oh, and in case I didn't say it like I did for the last 15 minutes, People have to learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for the urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. He can't help it. He's so wound up. Even in his farewell in the letter, he has to say it one more time. Don't get caught up in silly, superficial things. You're not the same anymore. You've been born again. Start acting like it. And watch what happens. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your word. I pray that it is entirely from you, but whatever is not, let it be like the dross scraped away so that the people have remembered and been changed by that which is refined by your spirit. For your namesake, we pray. Amen. Amen.